0: Eh... As we come here, we open up the Bible and we read from it. And I think that probably most of us, if we're thinking about it, we're asking the question: Why should I read this? Why should? Why does this affect me? Why is it worth my time to show up each week to Ruf and read the Bible? And then he's going to tell me I should read it every day. Okay. And the reason why uh, we should listen to the Bible, we have there's a lot of reasons, but. Um, One of the reasons why it's worth your time to listen to the Bible tonight is because we are all constantly seeking a a word of authority in our lives. We're always constantly looking for a source that we can count on that will tell us the truth about ourselves and the world and make sense out of the chaos. And a lot of us probably think that, you know, we've moved beyond the need as a culture to rely on primitive religious texts like the Bible and, uh, you know, but when you need to know something, where, where do you turn? If you have a question, you know, you go to Google, you go to Wikipedia, right, um, to find an answer. And we have questions all the time that we're looking for answers for. And what is a source that you go to that you get information from that you feel like, I know this is a reliable source? Like if you listen to NPR, they're always like, support NPR because it's a reliable source of news, you know. Um, but maybe you turn, you listen to NPR, and you're like, I, I know that's true. Or you the New York Times or or Fox News? You find that as a place, and you're like, I can count on that news. I I, I trust that perspective. Um, where do you turn to find out who you are? You know, the Myers Briggs test is like what people in 2017 turned to when they wanted to find out who they were. In 2019, it's the Enneagram, folks. You know, and uh, and me hating on the Enneagram is just a classic type one. You know. And uh, we turn to something like the Enneagram to find out who we are or Ancestry.com. My mom bought me five DNA kits for my whole family to send off to strangers to just give my DNA to them. I'm excited about it, but I'm also a little nervous. Uh, Maybe if you need all those things, you just call your mom. You know, your mom's a reliable source. I call her. She'll make sense. Out of the chaos, But we're regularly turning day by day, moment by moment. I, I feel like we actually have a, an urge within us to look for somewhere to tell us this is true. This makes sense of the chaos. And it makes sense of the world and ourselves. And the Bible says that it's actually God's word, that God spoke it. And it talks about itself as being a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path to show us ourselves in the world and help us make sense of everything. And that's why we are reading it here. And that's why you should consider it. So if you take it in your hands and you want to read along, the book of Ephesians is actually a letter written to a church in Ephesus, which was a major city in what is now Turkey. It was a very big, diverse Roman city. And the person who wrote it, his name was Paul. Sometimes you hear him called the Apostle Paul. He was a person who persecuted the Christian church, was violent toward the Christian church, threw Christians in jail, oversaw uh, murders of Christians, Before he had a life-changing encounter with Jesus and the rest of his life, he actually started Christian churches, particularly churches where people who were violent and hostile toward each other came together as one. And this is what he writes to the church there in Ephesus, starting in verse 15, chapter 1. Listen, this is the word of the living God. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit, give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Uh, I'm going to take a moment and ask God to meet us now as we consider his word. Uh, Lord, you have spoken. You are not silent. And Lord, uh, your, your word, when we come to it, uh, and for each of us, feels really foreign. For some of us, it might feel rote and familiar, but we still don't really feel like we understand it. And yet, Lord, it is something that you say is more valuable than gold and sweeter than honey, that it, it lights up our path, shows us our way, shows us who we are. And Lord, we, we long for those things. And so we ask that you would meet us now in your word, in these moments that we have. Lord, that we would see the world as it is, that we would see ourselves as we are, see our neighbor as they are, and see you as beautiful. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, hopefully, I, I just learned the other day that uh, Black Panther was nominated for Best Picture, which is the first like superhero film to be nominated for Best Picture, I believe. It's really exciting. And if you haven't seen Black Panther, you should. I believe it's on Netflix. And uh, it takes place mostly in this fictional uh, fictional African country called Wakanda. And Wakanda is an amazing just idea and place in general. There's tons of podcasts and articles now about the notion of Wakanda, especially because it's this tremendous image of black beauty and intelligence and power. And um, because of this natural resource that Wakanda has called Vibranium, The nation possesses unimaginable power and wealth. But to the watching world, everyone thinks that Wakanda is just like a poor country of farmers. It's like like an agrarian country in Africa. It's a world-changing power, something that has literally the power and influence to change everything. And it's hidden right in plain sight. And the church, Paul says in this passage, the church around the world, across cultures, across denominations, and actually throughout time, Paul says is the single most important entity on the planet. That it's actually the most powerful thing that exists on the planet. And I know that sounds insane to say that. Because you've been to church probably. I know I've been to church. doesn't feel, when you walk in there, like the single most powerful and important place on the earth. But that's what this passage says. There at the end. It says that, that God put Jesus all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things, so over all the universe. The king of the universe. Everything's under his feet. He's sitting on his throne. And it says, he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The one with the power over everything seen and unseen. His spot is the church. That's his body. That's the fullness of him who fills everything. World-changing potential and power hidden right on the corner. And Ephesians gives us a vision of people who are radically different and hostile to one another, becoming a unified community that's marked by love and truth and grace. If you spent the weekend doing anything on social media, then you saw a, a, a video where suddenly, it was like one of those magical things where everyone came together and being outraged about something different from this video of Covenant, uh, was it Covington Catholic School. And there was a, as a, as an indigenous man, there for an indigenous people's march. And then there was a longer video of black Hebrew Israelites. And it was like every possible political persuasion was outraged at something about this video. And Paul comes to us and says, God is bringing together a unified people that live in peace um, by his grace. And it's possible because this King Jesus is sitting on the throne and gathering everything to himself. Um, There's a guy named Eugene Peterson. You might use the message translation of the Bible. And uh, he puts it like this. He says, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Uh, It sounds wild, but here's why I think that that makes sense. And I think that this is actually good news for you. Part of what the, makes the church so unique and powerful is what Paul says here are two things. That there's hope in the church and there's power in the church. And right, right there at the beginning, he, he says, I, I, I'm, I'm writing to you. I've been praying for you because I've heard that you love Jesus, that you love the saints. And then in verse 18, he says that you might have the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you might see this hope and this power. So if you're here tonight and you consider yourself a Christian, he's writing to Christians and saying, I want you to see this thing that you might be missing. And if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, there's good news here as well. The first is that there's hope in the church. Look in, uh, in verse 18. He says that you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. If there's one thing everybody in this room wants but is in some ways afraid to say is hope hope that things will work out hope that things can get better hope that i can change right i was listening um i have a tremendous soul tie to frozen uh the film and the other morning there was a thing on the radio and they were talking about american anthems and the one they were talking about was let it go and just the piano and i was like already like kind of holding it together in the carpool line with my kids. And um, they were talking about how the song was so empowering for folks that, with, um, that have uh, struggled with mental health. Um, but that's another sermon, another story. If I could preach a sermon, and I'll let it go. And, um, <laughs> and they, but they shared this stat. They said, uh, if you ask college students how many have been dep- um, diagnosed with depression, not have felt depressed or are depressed, but have been diagnosed clinically with depression, in 2010, 1 in 10 students said they had. Okay. Today, 1 in 4 students say that they have been diagnosed. Not that I am depressed or have experienced it, but I have been diagnosed. I've taken the time to go to the doctor and get diagnosed with depression. And, and that's amazing. And people are trying to figure out why is there this mental health crisis suddenly. and um, But if you're like me and you have struggled deeply with depression, um, you know that it's more than a mental health thing, right? It's more than what's going on in our brain chemistry. Often our depression and our struggles um, to, to, to just exist in the world and thrive um, are coming from a lack of hope. They're often coming from a lack of hope that if I continue on living my life that things will improve and get better, I'll have a place. And Paul says the church is the greatest source of hope on the planet. And here, here's a few reasons why. Uh, In the church, uh, he he says um, that you would know the hope to which he has called you. The hope that God has called us to is a hope about so many things. The first is it's a hope about freedom. Jesus offers freedom to women and men, girls and boys. He offers peace to us, a peace that is internal and a peace that is relational and external. A freedom and a peace from comparison to others. Comparison to what I think I should be, my parents think I should be. Uh, Freedom from the nagging suspicion that we have of ourselves. That maybe there is something not quite right. Because in Jesus, we actually become free, and I love what Scott was saying. He was vulnerable all last semester, independent, and he had life in that. The freedom that Jesus offers is to come and to be honest about who we are, to not hide anything, and to say the comparisons that I draw, the things that I tell myself, the other things that people say about me are not what is absolutely true about me, that I can have freedom in Jesus and be set free from those things. And what keeps you from having peace? What makes you what keeps you from feeling free to be yourself and to try? Is it a comment that a parent made? Maybe when you were young. Maybe when you're not so young. Is it, is it a frustration with your own ability to do something? Or your own ability to change something about how you feel or how you see the world? Is it something secret? Something quiet that no one knows? We have hope because Jesus offers us freedom from those things. To say that what you think about yourself and what others think about you is not what is primarily true about you, but the fact that God created you in his image and actually redeems us Gives us freedom and peace, but also it's a hope about life with God. And in Romans chapter five, Paul also writes that in Christ we have peace with God. Um, we're going to get into this more next week, but we all show up on the scene in a place of hostility toward God, um, whether we recognize it or not. But but Paul says that in in Christ we can have peace. With God. If you look in verse 18, he says, Having the hearts, eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, saints, in the Bible, you hear that and you're like, oh, that's really holy people. But saints is just another word for people that belong to Jesus, screwed up as we come, made right in Jesus. And he says that we might, we might know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He doesn't say our inheritance. What Paul is saying is that, that God's inheritance, which is glorious to him, which is rich to him, is his people. That what makes God feel rich, and the thing that he values more than anything, is his people. <coughs> that we can have a life with God, the one that made everything. We can not just know him, know what he's like, not just know our purpose, but actually be connected to him and have love and life with God. It's a hope for life with God. It's also a hope for a new community. Um that I just man as I, as I focus on that that video from the weekend um I just thought how could the people in this video now granted it's it's you know videos are so weird cuz it's like none of us are there we don't really know the tone and everything that's going on um but there's obviously hostility there and I just thought what could ever make these people love each other and do life together it seems impossible to us But we have hope in Jesus for a new community. A place to belong that's across race, class, gender, across time. And it's a community of non-judgment. Because everyone in that community says, I'm not morally superior to you. I come into this thing screwed up. The only thing that gets us into the church is a recognition that we're not okay. That we need help. That we, on our own, are not fit to accomplish the things in life that we want. Um, to be all who we say that we want to be. So it's a community of non-judgment because everyone knows they aren't morally superior, but it's also a place of hard truth-telling because everybody in that community forgets that they're not morally superior. Right? Isn't that what's hard about the church? Every, every group project you work on, every class you're in, the people in your class are hard to get along with because they think they're better than you. Right? Or they think that you think you're better than them. Right? It's everywhere and it's in the church too. The beautiful thing is that in the church we actually have a mechanism to tell truth and give and receive forgiveness and grace to one another. say like, Actually, you're diminishing me, but I love you. It's a new community. And aren't you longing for a place to belong? A place to belong that isn't about your gifts and talents, but actually just about you? Um, We have hope because we can have a purpose. This is a long list. Um... We aren't okay because of what we do. You're not going to be okay because you graduate with a certain GPA and meet a certain person and marry them or whatever and live in a certain place and get a certain job. You're never going to be okay. What's going to happen is that that, that, that gnawing in your belly that you think by achieving that thing is going to go away just breaks through to another level. And at some point you're just faced with the fact that nothing that I do makes me okay and the Bible, and the, the good news of the gospel actually says, yeah, that's absolutely right. It's not what you do that makes you okay. We do what we do because we are okay in Jesus. When we, if, you, if we're re- reading the Ten Commandments in our community groups, and you're like, oh, that sounds like a blast. <laughs> Can't wait to go on a Tuesday night and not study or not hang out with friends and talk about all the thou shall not things. Um, that sounds really fun. Um, but in, in, the, in the preamble to the Ten Commandments, if you've ever read it in Exodus 20, Moses says, he, he's quoting God, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, do these things. When we come to God, we never come and, and are okay because of what we do. We always know that we are accepted and loved and redeemed and given new life, therefore we go and do. And the beautiful thing about going on Tuesday nights and studying the Ten Commandments is you will learn a way of life that is beautiful and whole because it starts with your identity. And don't you long for a purpose that engages you fully but never determines how worthy you are. Don't you want to do something where you're like, I can give my whole heart to this and at the end of the day, whether I succeed or fail, it doesn't change my worth. And that's the purpose that we have in Jesus and loving God, loving our neighbor. And the last thing is that we have hope for serving um, on this past week, I was, I was re-listening to Dr. King's last speech. Um, it's often called the mountaintop speech where he talks about, he's been to the mountaintop. He's seen to the other side, he's seen the promised land. And, uh, you know, he, he, he gets very, um, passionate and he says, I've been to the mountaintop. I've looked over, I've seen into the promised land and I fear no man now. And less than 24 hours later, he is murdered. Right. But he was serving and associating himself with the least and the most oppressed because he had gotten a vision from Jesus. He had looked over into the promised land and said, it's going to be okay. I know that this is what God wants because Jesus is bringing a reality into our life where women and men, boys and girls, people from all across the world, live together in unity and joy. And Martin Luther King Jr., the pastor, he knew that Jesus became the least of these And so he saw that vision he said, I can serve. I don't have to be great. I can associate with the least of these and serve them. Because he could see from the top of the mountain. And it motivated him to identify with the least. So there's a hope for serving. And ultimately the hope that Jesus gives us is the greatest hope of all. Because it's a hope for the thing that is the most despairing reality of all, and that's death. Um... The hope that God offers to us when we trust Jesus is hope in the face of death. Um, my wife was in New Orleans um, from Thursday to Monday of this past week. She had a great time. I was super jealous the whole time. I mean, I'm glad to be here with you, but I'd rather be in New Orleans. And um, she was on a tour, and um, they, were, they were touring uh, cemeteries. Have you ever been to New Orleans? You know that the cemeteries and the graves, they're above ground. And you think at first, like, oh, because it's a swamp. You know, and you don't want stuff bubbling up, you know. And, um, but she's like, actually, I found out that when someone dies in New Orleans and their family has one of these mausoleums above ground, they place the body there. And for one year and one day, they allow the body to decompose, to have a decomposing process. And what's left is just like some bone remnant. And what they do is they just sweep your bone remnants down through a grate. And it falls into a thing with everyone else in your family from before that, all their bones too. Okay? And it's like, if, if you think about it in like a morbid way, it's kind of beautiful, right? it's um, like with the family and all that stuff. But when I was thinking about that, I was like, people get accomplished so much in a family. And people can just really screw up in a family. And in New Orleans, they all get swept down to the same place, right? It's, it's, a, it's a reality that eventually we are going to die. And some of us know it well. Some of us have walked that road. Some of us are walking that road now, facing it now, and the fear of it now. But most of us are pretending that it's never going to happen. And the good news is that Jesus offers a hope that is greater than death. A hope that's in the resurrection. And that's the power part. Look at verse 19 and 20. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us to believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. What Paul is saying is that in the church, there is a power, and it's a power that's greater than death. A power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that's in the church right now, and it's available to you. In another place, it's written that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. So that you can actually look at death, and look at failure, and the failure, the, the, the finitude of all things and say, I still have hope because there's a power in God that is greater than death because the church Paul says here is Christ's body, right? He's the head and the church is his body. He directs everything and holds everything together and fills like your head fills every part of your body and directs it and gives it wisdom and direction and grace. But the body is how the head works. You understand? What what your mind intends to do, your body does the work. And that's where the power comes in. And what what Paul is saying is that you, if you are a part of Christ's visible body, are his power in the world and that power is working through you to actually change things. Now, if you hate the New Orleans Saints as much as I do, um, because you're a Carolina Panthers fan, then you felt great on Sunday because they lost a game that would have sent them to the Super Bowl in the most devastating possible fashion. (laughs) which is they were legitimately robbed of a game because there was a pass, an appearance uh, penalty that was not called. It was very blatant and obvious. And Saints fans and players and um, their head coach, Sean Payton, who I have no affection for, um, were powerless to change anything. And that breeds despair. It breeds resentment and bitterness That something happened and you're powerless to change it. And what this passage is saying is that if you're part of God's people, you're never left without options. That you always have someone to go to who is able and powerful enough to change, to do things that we can possibly imagine. So, to bring this down to to an end here, what do you believe that God is powerful enough to do in your life or in the world or on this campus? Is God powerful enough to heal? Yes. Yes. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, yes. Is God powerful enough to grow you out of your immaturity? Yep. Is God powerful enough to give you intellectually and emotionally satisfying rationale for faith? Yeah. You wouldn't be the first one. Is God powerful enough to fix income inequality? Yes. Is God powerful enough to fix really unfair and oppressive um, criminal justice norms. Yep. Uh, is God powerful enough to bring multicultural love to where there was hostility? Yes. Is God able to work in your friend's life that you're so intimidated to bring to RUF? Yep. Mhm. Is God powerful enough to heal your broken family or your broken heart or your broken community? And the answer is yes, yes, and yes. But what Paul is saying here is that if you're not part of the visible body of Christ, as weird and unimportant as it seems, you may not be connected to the power where God is working those things out. We used to have a wood stove in our old house, and it was kind of awesome because I chopped the wood all the time and felt, you know, like strong, even know, I was pretty lame at chopping wood. Um, but it also sucked because you, you stack it with wood, you know, and then in the middle of the night at like 3 o'clock you have to get up and like maneuver something that is like several hundred degrees. And um, what you want in a, in a wood stove is not a roaring fire like you want in a fireplace. You want coals. You want hot coals. And so you would, you would, you would put the, the wood in, you would let it burn down, and you would like slowly turn off the air until it was just like red-hot glowing embers in there. And sometimes when I would go and I would open the door to tend the fire, and one of the embers would fall out onto the onto the grate. And it was amazing, because it was so hot, how quickly it went from this glowing warmth and light to just gray. But if, if I scooped it up really quick and threw it back in, just like that, immediately it lit back up and grew and started glowing again from a dull gray to a bright orange. And it actually becomes part of what's heating the house. And um, when you... Uh, separate yourself from the Christian community because someone offends you, or when you feel out of place because of your views, or when the behaviors of others disappoint you, and you disengage, both the coal, which is you, and the stove, which is the church, and the house, which is the watching world in need, Suffer from a lack lack of light and warmth because you're not there. And so let me invite you in. There's hope in the church. um, And there's power in the church. The church is the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all, world-changing power, hidden in plain sight. And part of what I love about the the story of Wakanda in Black Panther is the tension of the story really is, is Wakanda going to hold on to this power? in beauty or are they going to share it right and um, I won't spoil the ending for you but if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus um, are you going to open up to the world is your hope on display are you engaged enough with others that they can sense the warmth and see the light of Jesus and if the rest of us um, it's a simple invitation just to come in and see let's pray actually before we pray I keep forgetting to do this. Um, I know it's weird. Is it cool? If you think it's weird and you don't want to do it, that's fine. But if you're comfortable with the person next to you and want to grab their hand, hold their hand. Um, everyone's talking. Just grab that person's hand and uh, pray along with me. Father, um, we, we take time to recognize the, the, the hand that is holding ours. And recognize that we have a hand that's that's holding theirs. And that, Lord, we are human beings in bodies with needs. And, Lord, we desperately need hope. We need hope um, to keep moving. We need hope to be who you want us to be. And um, we, need, we need hope to just do life. And you offer us hope in Jesus, real hope. And so I ask you to impress that upon us. And, Lord, we need your power because the world is broken and we're broken and we want to change and we want to see things be beautiful and so lord um we just take a moment to think of the, the people around us to pray for them to recognize that we're part of a community and lord we ask that you would just press us further into the community of jesus that we could know him lord we thank you that you love us that you embrace us that you take our hand we pray in jesus name amen Everybody say-